Amen. We want to see the Lord. We don't want to see man. We want to see the Lord. So good to be here with you this morning, continuing in our study of the book of Revelation. And uh, glad to have all of our uh, regulars with us. Glad to have our visitors here. Uh, you're as welcome. I was going to say welcome as the flowers in May, but we can't say that anymore. As a, I think I was mowing grass on Valentine's Day, but, uh, but you're welcome here. We're glad to have our Facebook family watching. Uh, glad for those who are listening on the podcast. We just appreciate your participation uh, with us and uh, looking for a church home. You just pray about that. A lot of people here that will love you and uh, will treat you so many ways you're bound to like one of them. Really. <laughs> but um, also I'm glad to have a special uh, guest here. Um, Brother David Ross and his wife Susan are here, our director of the Edson Baptist Association. Uh, Brother David, would you like to greet people? Okay. Thank you for your support for our association. Thank you, Joanne, for your work together with our sister churches. If you'll get discouraged, just please let us know. We can help you in any way. God bless you. Praise God. You know, everybody likes it when a preacher keeps it short and sweet, don't they? So I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> One time I did, a, I, I did a funeral, I officiated a funeral, however you say it, and, uh, and afterward, uh, the, another gentleman came up to me, and he said, I really appreciated your sermon today, and I started feeling good, I thought, well, praise God, you know, and uh, he said, the thing that I appreciated the most about it is that you kept it real short, <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, y'all heard about the joke about the preacher who preached his first sermon? Um, there was a young preacher, he got invited to preach his first sermon, and uh, he was nervous about it, so he called his mentor, he said, now, uh, what do I do uh, if, if I draw a blank? He said, well, you just go and you pound the pulpit, and you repeat the title of your sermon. So he said, okay. So he goes to this church, this little country church, he's nervous as a cat, he's about 10 minutes into his sermon, he's preaching from Revelation, and the title of the message is, Behold, I Come Quickly. And he's about 10 minutes in, and all of a sudden his mind just draws a blank. And he remembered what his seminary professor told him. So he ran up to the pulpit, and he pounded. He said, Behold, I come quickly. And he stepped back. And he got started again for a little bit, and then his mind drew completely blank. And he thought, well, let's try it one more time. So he ran up to the pulpit and pounded and said, Behold, I come quickly. And immediately his mind went blank again. And he thought, what am I going to do? I'm in a mess. He said, sometimes the third time's the trick. So let's try it. So he ran up to the pulpit. This time he pounded it and said, behold, I come quickly. But this time he tripped over the pulpit, landed in the front row in the lap of an old lady. <laughs> and he's apologizing profusely. He said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. She said, son, don't apologize. You warned me three times you were coming. <laughs> All right. Are we in Revelation yet? Okay. You're waiting on me. <laughs> Keep it short and sweet. Revelation chapter 3 is where we need to be. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. 
Verse 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not yet found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I'm going to ask Pastor Arnold Jackson if he'll pray for me, and, and God would open up our ears this morning. Amen. Maybe seated. <clears throat> All right, let's go to the first slide. Uh, let's review the seven churches so far. Uh, we went to Ephesus. There's the little map of Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And uh, the Ephesian church, they had left their first love and they were in danger of having their lampstand removed. The church at Smyrna, they were the persecuted church, but Jesus didn't have anything uh, negative to say to them. The church at Pergamum, they had compromised with the world and false teaching. And they were in danger of, of Christ fighting against them with the sword of his mouth. Last week we looked at the church at Thyatira, which is the corrupted church. Uh, false teaching had taken root there. And they were in threat of great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. That brings us to Sardis, which is the next stop on the map. Let's go to the next slide. Some interesting facts about Sardis. Uh, its origin is about 1200 B.C. It was the ancient capital of the Lydian kingdom. There was a necropolis that was about 1500 feet above uh, sea level there. And because of that, they felt like the city was uh, uh, in, uh, impregnable. Nobody could get to them. You know, it, it was a huge advantage uh, to them militarily. There was a famous king there by the name of uh, it's either Croesus or Croesus. Anybody ever heard of King Croesus? No? That's interesting because he was known in that time as like the richest king. So if, you were, if, we, if we say somebody's rich now, we're saying they're rich as what, Bill Gates or something or whoever. But in that day, uh, they would say you're rich as King Croesus. Um, but Croesus, he, he made a big mistake. He tried to attack the Persians. He tried to attack Cyrus. And, uh, and when he did, he, he lost the battle, and he retreated back to, this, to the Acropolis. That night, uh, Cyrus pursued after him. And uh, nobody bothered to watch the Acropolis. They thought that nobody could get to him because they were so high up, and they were sleeping. And while they slept, Cyrus conquered them like a thief in the night. You'll, you'll see why that's important. The same thing happened in 195 B.C. Uh, the Greeks' uh, Seleucid Empire. Uh, Antiochus the Great did this. Now in 17 A.D., that brings us uh, after the birth of Christ, there was a major earthquake that rocked the city. And uh, Tiberius, the emperor, he helped them out financially, and they minted coins there. Uh, the first minted coins, by the way, were in Sardis, in case you were wondering. In case you're ever on Jeopardy, that's where they were. Uh, first coins were minted in Sardis. 
Now, they were famous for their deity, uh, Cybele or uh, Sibylle. I don't, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. She's the, um, she was supposedly a goddess of fertility and such, but uh, supposedly she could bring back the dead to life. And there were these hot springs in Sardis, and they were thought to have healing powers. So it was known as a place of life, but it was really dead, um, is the irony here. Uh, at the time of Revelation, Sardis' greatness lied in the past. And we can all think of things that used to be thriving places that are not anymore. You know one that always comes to my mind? Eastland Mall. Remember that? Anybody remember going there when you were a kid? Or, or I know some of y'all were older than me but, uh, and, and younger, but uh, <laughs> I could still smell the food court there and, and looking at the ice skaters out there. And it was so beautiful at Christmas time. But what is it now? Nothing, right? It's gone. And so there's, there's all kinds of examples. But let's go to the next slide. All right, let's look in Revelation 3, verse 1. He says, Unto the angel of the church in Sardis, and we know the angel is the messenger there, and we've talked about the city of Sardis. He says, These things saith he that have the seven spirits and the seven stars. Now, uh, Isaiah some see the seven spirits. What are the seven spirits and what are the, uh, the seven angels? And got glasses on? Okay. All right. Luckily, you can just read off the board here. You don't have to go anywhere. Uh, some see this as a reference. The set, there's not seven holy spirits. There's one holy spirit. Seven denotes fullness or completion. Some see this as a reference to Isaiah 11, verse 2. You want to read that? Isaiah 11, 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. Zechariah 14. For, the, for who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall be, be plummeted in the hand of Zerubbabel and those seven. Those are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Okay, thank you. I actually think Zechariah is the correct reference. I, Isaiah. To me, it doesn't quite fit. I see six there instead of seven in Isaiah 11. Uh, I wouldn't quibble with you on that. But I see it as Zechariah 4. Because in Zechariah 4, he sees a vision of a, lamp, of a menorah, a lampstand. And there's seven pipes or seven bowls. And God interprets that for him. and says that these seven are the eyes of the Lord that run to and fro throughout the earth. All right, let's go back to Revelation 1. Revelation 1, verses 4 and 5, and we see a greeting, uh, John to the seven churches, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, I believe that's the Father, and from the seven spirits before his throne, I believe that's the Holy Spirit, and then from Jesus Christ, uh, that's of course self-evident who he is, he's the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. Now we also see uh, in verse 16, still in chapter 1, the seven stars um, in his right hand. Now in verse 20, we're told who the seven stars are. So pop quiz, who are the seven stars? They're not the churches. The churches are the lampstands. The angels are the messengers of the seven churches. Very good. Okay, now go with me to Revelation chapter 4 and look at verse 5. 
And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This is another proof of the pre-trib rapture, by the way, because the lampstands are in heaven before the seals are opened. But we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit later. Um, now look in chapter 5, Revelation. Look at verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and of the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the what? Seven spirits of God. So that, that echoes, echoes back to Zechariah, right? We, what we just read, what uh, Adam just read. Okay? All right. Back to chapter 3. We're going to go on a little journey here this morning. Now, let's go to the next slide. Now, Jesus says to the church, he says, I know your works. Now, usually, Jesus follows this up with some positive things. You know, I know you're, the, the good things that you're doing. But here at this church, nothing good. Now, there are some individuals who are doing okay, but the church as a whole is in bad shape. And so there's nothing, he has no commendation <clears throat> for them. They had a name, uh, that they were alive. But Jesus says that they were uh, dead. Now, the, uh, the first negative mention of a name is um, in Genesis 11. Does anybody know, without turning there, that story, what it's about? Genesis 11? All you Bible scholars? It is the Tower of Terror. Terror. <laughs> what translation is Remington reading out of? It's the Tower of Babel. <laughs> it was terrible, terrible. Uh, you remember what they wanted to do at Babel? <laughs> they wanted to build a city. They wanted to build a tower, and they wanted to make a name for themselves. And they sure did, didn't they? Um, it is possible uh, to, to be alive physically, but to be dead spiritually. Matthew 8, 22, Jesus talks about letting the dead bury their dead. Luke 15 talks about the prodigal son. And he says, this my son was dead, and he's alive again. 1 Timothy 5, 6 talks about the woman who lives in pleasure. She's dead, even though she's alive physically. Notice that this church, there's no mention of the enemies. There's no Balaamites. Satan's not mentioned. You know why? Because Satan doesn't bother fighting a dead church. So if the devil's leaving you alone, you need to be worried. We got it all backwards, don't we? We're all worried when the devil's fighting us tooth and nail. But when you really need to be worried is when the devil don't mess with you. Because you're not a threat to him. All right. I got a quote here from the commentator Robert Thomas. They had made peace with the surrounding society and fit in comfortably with their culture. The offense, in that cross, the offense of the cross in that community had ceased to exist. How tragic. How tragic that is. But there remains a thread of hope. Let's go to the next slide. He says, be watchful. And strengthen what remains that are ready to die. Now, they're not dead yet, but they're, they're clinging to life. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Now, the city had already fallen. And they could have saved the city if anybody had bothered to just watch. They say even if a little child had watched, they could have saved the city. 
Um, Adam, would you, would you go to 1 Samuel for me? Now, Jesus said, I've not found your works perfect before God. And folks, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what people think. It matters what God thinks. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And while he's going there in Luke 1, we're told that Zechariah and, and uh, Elizabeth, who were John the Baptist's parents, that they were righteous before God. I love that. God saw them as righteous. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the Lord looks at the outward appearance. Excuse me. But man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen. Luke 16, 15. I've got that up on the board there. Would you read that too, Adam? It's not the board, it's the wall, I guess. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is a governing principle in my life. Whenever the world thinks something's great, you can pretty much guarantee God doesn't think much of it. Let's go to the next slide. He gives them a remedy. Uh, for their malady. There's a remedy for their malady. He says, first of all, remember. And that doesn't just mean being nostalgic. Okay? He's not saying sit around and talk about the good times. Some people have a used to testimony. I used to witness. I used to pray. I used to serve the Lord. But what is God doing in your life now? I want to hear your testimony about what God is doing in your life right now. But we do need to remember that initial feeling of salvation. How many of you remember when you first got saved? Anybody? Wasn't that the best feeling? I'm going to do something a little unorthodox here. This is, I'm totally breaking the script here. I just want one person. I don't want to do a whole church full because we'll be here all afternoon. I want one person to stand up spontaneously and tell me how you felt when you got saved. I'm not going to put any pressure on you. Just one person. If you'll just breath in. Free. Free. Fe feeling of total freedom. Praise God. That was so quick. Let's do one, up. one, one, more. one more. Just I just want you out of the abundance of the, 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 the wellspring in your heart. I was in general place to pure and serve. I was Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You were 13? And I'm not going to ask you how old you are because we never escalated that. But you remember all the way. Okay, I wasn't trying to push you there. Praise God. <laughs> but she remembers that feeling at 13 years old. And I don't know how old you were when you got saved, but wasn't that the best feeling? I remember the night I got baptized. It was just the best feeling. I just, uh, I just remember coming up out of that water, and I felt 
just clean. And I know the water doesn't save anybody, but just, it just felt so good. But let's keep that in the forefront of our mind. When we start getting cold, let's go back to where God found us. I didn't find Christ because he, he wasn't lost. He found me. And I was lost. The second thing we're told to do is to hold fast uh, to, or to keep, to do. In order to, uh, to do that instead of sleeping. Now, Brother Ronnie, I don't know if you wrote that little uh, limerick that Lynn read earlier, but what, what was that line you put about uh, sleeping? Uh, it was so good. It's about a, what, we don't start worship at 10.30 sharp and end and the, the last worship. One, the last one. Yeah, the last one was, uh, oh yeah. Standing on the yeah, promises. Instead of standing on the promises, we're sleeping in the premises. Hey, did you hear that? <laughs> Instead of standing on the promises, we're sleeping on the premises. That was good, Brother Ryan. It wasn't original? Okay. Most of my stuff isn't either. That's why it's good. <laughs> I, heard, I heard one guy says, I'm either original or nothing. And another guy said, yeah, or both. <laughs> Mostly both. Okay. Hold fast. Give, in, give earnest attention. Wake up. If they, had, if they had just simply woke up as a city, they could have saved Sardis. And the same fate is going to befall this church. And like the Ephesian church, they're told to repent. What does it mean? To change your mind. Now there's a severe threat immediately following the remedy. And, and one commentator, Henry Alfred, says that it seems improbable that they would turn back at this point. So Jesus follows the, the remedy with a threat immediately. And I want to tell you what, you can see this in denominations. When they start going off the deep end... It's almost impossible to save them. Almost impossible. Um, what you see normally is a new, a new denomination is formed uh, out of it or a split. It's hard to reform when folks are that far gone. All right, let's go to the next slide. He says, if you don't watch, I'm going to come on you as a what? Thief. That language is found throughout the Gospels. And it's always tied to the second coming of Christ. So this kind of church will be alive when Jesus comes again. And I will say there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of dead churches. From the outside, they look okay. They may have large crowds. They, they may be thriving financially. But they're dead. Um, how do we keep from Jesus coming on us like a thief in the night? Be watchful, right? If they had done that, they could have saved the city. If the church would do this, the, the Lord's not coming on them like a thief. Now, I'm going to tell you, the Lord's going to come like a thief for a lot of churches. I talked to a pastor one time. We were eating lunch together, and I, I started talking about the coming of the Lord. I said, now, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? He said, oh, I don't preach about that stuff. I just preach about uh, hope and, and faith and forgiveness and, and stuff. Well, that's great. You need to be preaching that stuff. But you need to be telling people the Lord's coming again because He is. We don't know the day or the hour, but man, don't it look closer than it's ever been? Wake up. Wake up, church. Let's go to the next slide. He says, you have a few names, not a lot, but you have a few names in Sardis that have not defiled 
uh, their garments. God always has a remnant. Always. Uh, and He preserves them. Now, this, this city was famous for dyeing wool. And, uh, and I think there's probably a reference here to that. That was their main uh, industry there. Uh, go with me to uh, Revelation 19. And Adam, if you'll read verse 8, and then again verse 14. And then verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Is that all that's in that verse? Okay. All right, thank you. Um, I'm not a big fan on earth of wearing white. Because I found out it makes me look fat. So... <laughs> So I don't wear a lot of white. Uh, black, on the other hand, has a slimming effect, darker colors. And so, I, I, you know, I, I, I lean to those tones. But there is coming a time, dear friend, when you want to be wearing a white garment, okay? Can you wear white before Labor Day or after Labor Day? I think that's out, isn't it? That, nobody cares about that anymore. You just wear whatever color suits you. What's that? That's so last year. Um, but white is what the holy angels are wearing. It's what Jesus is wearing. It's what everybody in heaven is attired with. And so you don't want to be uh, wearing your members only jacket and everybody else has got white. Okay, You want to have a white robe. Now that white robe is coming from the Lord. Some of you are like, what's a members only jacket? <laughs> Ask your mom. That's so 80s. <laughs> Turn with me to uh, Zechariah chapter 3. You can find it real easily, <laughs> real easily. Go to Matthew's gospel and then back up just a few books. Anybody watch the game last night? There was a big basketball game. I dressed appropriately today. Uh, my wife did too. Father-in-law, mother-in-law. Some of y'all didn't get the memo, but that's okay. You're in my prayers. Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3. I'll give Adam time to turn there, since he's going to be reading. And I'm going to ask him if he would read verses 1 through 10. Because uh, I think there's a reference here to the Old Testament. Zechariah 3, 1 through 10. Then he showed me and Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? 
Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my commands, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among those who stand there. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you. For they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Upon the stone are seven eyes. And behold, I will engrave each its inscriptions, says the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of the land in, that, in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under the, his vine and under his fig tree. Thank you. So Joshua is like us, but he's the high priest. Joshua was the high priest, but his garments were filthy. But God gave him a, a new garment. Hallelujah. And Satan stood ready to accuse him, just like he does you and me. How many of you know our righteousness before God is like what? Filthy rags. Let's go to the next slide. Now we get to the promise to the overcomers. Now he's already talked about a white garment, but he said the one who overcomes. And I've got 1 John 5, 5 up there. Just in case there's any question about who the overcomers are. Pop quiz, who are the overcomers? Believers. This is the second mention of white garments. So you get the idea here that maybe there was a lot of impurity, uh, corruption in the church, even though it's not specified. Let's go on to the next slide. Now, there's three promises. First one is to be clothed in white raiment. The second one is not a threat, but a promise to the overcomer. That's important to realize. He said, I will not blot out his name uh, from the book of life. Now, this is the strongest in the Greek. It's the ume, a double negative in the Greek. Strongest uh, way of saying it. It's like, no, not ever. Never, never. The ume, not oh me, but ume. Let's all say that together. Ume. You did speak a little Greek today, so go ahead and brag to your friends about that. Ume. Uh, go to Exodus 32. This is probably the first reference to uh, someone being blotted out. Exodus 32. Adam, would you just read that off the wall there? 32 and 33. Thank you, sir. Yet no, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot them. I pray thee out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him I will blot out of my book of life. All right, would you go ahead and read Psalm 69 up there too? Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. So these Old Testament verses... Talk about the possibility of being blotted out. Now, the promise to the overcomer 
is that he will not be blotted out. Not ever. That's, that's important. But the possibility exists. And when you go to Psalm uh, 69, which you don't have to do that right now, you'll see that it's the name of the wicked that's written there. It's talking about the wicked. It's talking about the wicked being blotted out of the book of life. Now, uh, the New Testament talks about there, there is a book and names are written there. Luke tw- uh, 10, verse 20. Philippians 4, verse 3. Let's go to the next slide. Go with me to Revelation 13. We're getting to the good stuff, guys. Say hallelujah, we're getting to the end of this sermon. No, I mean we're getting to the good content here. You're you're closer to the end. You're closer than you were before. (laughs) Revelation 13. Adam, will you read verse 8? And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All right. So there's a debate. Um, and I'm not going to get into the whole election free will thing this morning. That's another talk for another time. But this book, is it the book that's from the foundation of the world, or is it the slaying of the Lamb? And I'm going to suggest to you that it's both. That both were written from before the foundation of the world. Did you know that before Adam sinned in the garden, Jesus had already planned to die? That's what the Bible teaches. So when Adam sinned, It did not take God by surprise. When Adam sinned, oh hallelujah, I'm getting goosebumps. (laughs) When Adam sinned, God said, I've already got this taken care of. God wasn't wringing his hands. When he said, Adam, where are you? He wasn't looking for Adam. He was wanting Adam to confess. He'd already made made the provision for him. Go with me to Revelation chapter 5. My, 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 my. (laughs) Revelation 5. He said, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within on the backside, sealed with seven seals. This is the title deed to planet earth. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is Worthy to open the book and to loose the seals. And the Bible says in verse 3, No man in heaven nor in earth, neither under earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. There was not one human worthy. Not one. And John says in verse 4, I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. You know what? That's something worth crying about. If, there, if nobody's going to rescue us, if the devil's going to rule forever. Right now the devil's in charge of planet earth. God's sovereign over him, but Satan's the god of this world. If, if the story stops here, I'd be weeping too. But look at verse 5. One of the elders said, weep not. 
Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. He has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne. See, we're already studying chapter 5 and that's a couple of weeks away, but let's gotta just keep going with it. In the midst of the elders stood a lamb as if it had been slain. Having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the, the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Jesus Christ takes the book from the right hand of Yahweh, Jehovah God. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of the odors which are the prayers of saints. Your prayers never go to waste, my friend. Your prayers are stored in, in a bottle in heaven's throne room. Hallelujah. And they sung a new song. Some people are against new music, but listen. You're going to sing a new song one day soon. They sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy. You are worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof. For you were slain. And you have redeemed us by your blood. To God. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us. Unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. Wow. Here's the big deal guys. Who is worthy to stand in the presence of God? Any of us? No. None of us are worthy. But this scene in heaven is the scene we're going to see very soon, I believe. We will see the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world and all we'll be able to do is say, Thank God, He's the reason I'm here. He's the reason I'm here. Nothing in me, God, nothing in me deserves to be here. Worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah. Worthy is the Lamb. He alone is worthy. I'm here because of Him. I'm here because of Him. No, I don't deserve to be here. It is by grace you have been saved. Not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Christ is worthy to open the seals. I'm going somewhere with this, guys. So He's going to open these seals in this book. And when He opens those seven seals, guess what's coming? The wrath of God on the whole world. Okay? So whatever Jesus' death accomplished, it affected the whole world. Do you understand that? You look at the universal scope of what Jesus is dying on the cross. did. When Jesus died on that cross, my friend, it sent shockwaves through eternity. We, you and I can't even begin to fathom the power that the death and resurrection of Christ uh, affected on our, uh, on our world. But he's going to open up these seven scrolls. And they're going to affect the whole world. Because he is worthy. He alone is worthy. Now in John's theology, let's just go ahead and kill five-point Calvinism once for all. If you're a five-point Calvinist, I love you. But you need to get in the book. Not, not John Calvin's book, but the, God's book. Because Jesus Christ didn't just die for a few. The Bible says he died for the whole world. When John the Baptist saw him in John 1, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. He's the Savior of the world. 
First John 2 says that He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the, the whole world. He's the Savior of the world. Now that only becomes a reality for those who accept Jesus Christ. That's the only way it becomes a reality for you. A person who never receives Jesus Christ, when they die, their name is blotted out of the book of life. But Jesus' promise to the overcomer is not a threat. It's a promise to the overcomer that his name or her name will never ever be blotted out. If your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life, Jesus said, I'll never blot it out. I will never remove your name. You say, well, Henry, I really blew it after I became a Christian. You think God didn't know what you were going to do before you got saved? God knew everything you would ever do. Listen carefully to me. See the logic here. I'm a logical person, mostly. Not always, but mostly. Think about it. God knows everything, right? He knows the end from the beginning. So when you got saved, God knew every mistake, every sin, every failure you would ever make. And yet, in His grace, He saved you anyway. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny Him, but He loved him anyway. He told Peter, He said, Peter, you're going to do this, but you're going to come out on the other side. Okay, that, that's a loose paraphrase there. But those who die without Christ... The crucial issue is, is your name written out in the Lamb's Book of Life? Because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to stand before God and they're going to plead their case. Lord, I did all this. I joined the church. I worked in the church. I taught Sunday school. I sang in the choir. I put money in the offering plate. I did all these wonderful things. And Jesus is going to say, none of that matters because I don't know you. Depart from me. I never knew you. The key issue is, do you know Christ? Does he know you? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And if it is, you can rejoice. You can rejoice over that. All right, let's go to the next slide. We're almost done, guys. There's another promise, Jesus says, and I think this is really cool. There's only one more slide after this. I know you say, well, that's really cool. All right, here's a promise. Now, this is an echo from the gospel. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said, Whoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. Luke 12, 8. I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before man, him, uh, also, he shall also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Now I like this. I borrowed this again from Robert Thomas' commentary. The overcomers can expect Christ to say the same thing about them in the presence of the Father and the angels, as they had said about him while among their contemporaries on the earth. Mm. You see, you see the continuity here? I want you to understand the continuity in these promises. They're walking in white already. Remember, they hadn't defiled their garments. They're walking in white now, and Christ says they're going to walk in white then. Okay? Your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life now, if you're saved. And when you Stand before God. Your name will not be blotted out. Your name's going to be on the record of the role in heaven. One more line of continuity. You're going to confess Jesus Christ if you're a born-again believer. Confess Him to those who you know in this world. I tell you what. There's a temptation, guys, to cower back, to shrink back in fear. Now, we live in the Bible Belt here. And I told somebody this week, cultural Christianity is still a thing in the South. 
But around the globe, not so. Eight billion people on the planet, and 80% of them don't even believe in God, let alone Jesus Christ. No, I said that wrong. 80% are not Christian. That means eight out of ten people right now are on their way to hell and have their name blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life. And that ought to make you sob. Out of eight billion people, 80% of them are lost and on their way to a, Christ, a Christless eternity. But for those who overcome, Jesus is going to confess you before the Father and before His angels. Now, I was, I was watching the basketball game last night, and I'm not going to run it in the ground, I promise. But I was listening to one of the, the commentators, and he was talking about one of the senior players for, uh, for Carolina. There, I said it. And he was so excited because his name was going to be in the rafters forever. And they were talking about another guy. And he said, well, even though he's had a great career, he's had, you know, all these rebounds and assists. And, but his name won't be up in the rafters. He'll finish his, having a good career. Everybody will remember him. But his name won't be in the rafters. And I thought to myself, you know, that'd be really cool to have your name up in the rafters. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. Because one day those rafters are going to be gone. One day everything is going to be dissolved and the only thing that's going to matter is, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? When you get to that white throne judgment in Revelation 20, which I don't want to be there as a uh, person on the stand, but those folks there, they're appealing to God on the basis of their works. And the books were opened, which were the works, right? And if you stand before God judged on the basis of your works, you're doomed. You're doomed. The only way you're going to be saved is if you're with that group saying, we're not worthy, he is worthy. That, that's the only way. So the books are opened, and it says, whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life was thrown into the lake of fire. So the crucial issue is, is their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Think about this, guys. The God of the universe, the one who created a billion stars, and God only knows how many planets or galaxies He's created. That same God that created everything said one day, if you confess me before men, He said, Brother Lynn, I'm going to bring you up before the Father and before the angels and say, Lynn Ray, I know you. I've loved you from the foundation of the world and you belong to me. What a wonderful thought. Oh, it would be great to have your name in lights, have your name up in the rafters. Who cares about any of that? You will be acknowledged before the throne of God and before the angels. Wow. I, th I, I think about those Olympic ceremonies, you know. And one of my favorite things is the closing when they're marching into the stadium. They're, they're running into the stadium. And as they come in, everybody's there waiting on them, you know. And I think about all the saints that have gone before us. And they're cheering us on. And if they could whisper to us from beyond, they'd say, just a little bit longer, guys. Don't give up now. We're almost at the finish line. Don't give up now. And I could just picture us running into that, that stadium. And one day in the courtroom of heaven, there's going to be a, a worship service like you have never dreamt of in your wildest dreams. Let's go to the last slide. Yes, I did say the last one. 
we end up, and the, the appeal is to hear. Interesting, Jesus says this seven times in the book of Revelation. He also says it seven times in the Gospels. Uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Now, sometimes it may say ears, who has ears to hear, but that, that same uh, equivalent uh, occurs. Can you hear him today? Can you hear him calling you? Maybe somebody here today. You've been in church your whole life. Maybe because of who your family is or your long-standing membership in the church, you feel secure in that. And everybody around you thinks that you're a Christian. You have a name, but deep down you know there's not been a true relationship. You've never been born again. There is hope for you today. There is hope for you today. Well, what will people think? That is irrelevant. One day, Jesus Christ will confess you before the Father and before His angels if you're not ashamed to confess Him now. And I can already tell you what everybody's going to think here if you get saved today. We're going to rejoice with you. I might even run around in church. <laughs> you say, well, that's not decently and in order. Well, maybe, you, maybe your idea of decent is different than mine. <laughs> The Bible says that when one sinner repents that there's rejoicing in the presence of God. That the angels rejoice. Maybe God's called you here today. Everybody thinks everything's okay. But deep down you know there's no life. The Spirit of God is the one who brings life. That's why Jesus announces himself to this church as the seven, one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven angels, because this church is void of what it needs the most, and that's the life of God, the Holy Spirit. What about the robes? Now, this issue of, of garments. The first, time, the, the first time that clothes are mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis, of course, as you would suspect. But Adam and Eve, after they sinned, you know what they did? They tried to make clothes. They, they sewed themselves fig leaves together. And God said, that's not going to work. You can't clothe yourself. And so God clothed them with animal skins. An, an innocent animal had to die. Well, what, what did the animal do? Nothing, that's the point. Is there had to be an innocent dying for the guilty. And God clothed them with his own clothing. And the Bible says that He will clothe us with a robe of righteousness. You don't want to be clothed with your own good works. Those are like filthy rags. But God says, I've got a white robe for you. God says, I've got a white robe. I've got a white robe for you. It's perfect. You know, I, I like shopping for clothes. But it's hard for me to get fit off the rack. It's hard for me to get fit off the rack. But I love to go and get tailored clothes. Because then that means it's been designated just for me, and it fits me just right in all the right places. As long as I can stay away from the buffet, right? <laughs> fits me in all the right places. 
God's got a white robe for you. He says, everything is prepared for you. God has a white robe for you, and it fits you just right. Nobody else can wear your robe. God made it just for you. God says, all you got to do is come to me, and you can wear it. And you can wear it proudly. You'll never be ashamed. You'll never look around and say, my clothes are not as good as this one, or I wish I could afford to shop here. You can say, I've got the best, because I'm clothed with the same, I'm wearing the same thing Jesus is. And the same thing the angels are wearing. And God would say to you today, the robe of righteousness is ready for you. It's tailor-made. When Jesus died on the cross, His blood was shed for you and for me. And you can come. You can come. Revelation 22, 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Let him that heareth say, come. That's what us overcomers are saying to those of you who are not overcomers yet. We're saying, come. Don't worry what anybody thinks. Come. Come on. You think you're living now? You hadn't seen living until you got the living waters. Let him who is a thirst come. Are you thirsty? I'm, I'm sensing among the young people in our, uh, in our world a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. And church, we better be ready to tell them the truth. That what they need is not drugs and sex and, and pleasure and alcohol and all that stuff. They need the Holy Spirit. Are you thirsty? Whoever's thirsty, God says, come. Come. And whosoever will. Is that what your Bible says, Preacher Jackson? Yes, sir. Whosoever will. What does that mean? That means anybody that wants to be saved can be saved. Because we wrestle with this. Can God forgive me? Will God forgive me? I state to you unequivocally, absolutely, with certainty, God will not only forgive you, but He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life. How? Without price. I come to him with nothing to offer. All I got is dirty clothes. That's all I've got. I've got a soiled robe, a garment spotted by the flesh, stained with the world. That's all I've got. And God says, great. Come as you are. I've already got something for you to wear. Praise God. I've already got your clothes picked out. You come to him and say, God, I come to you with my filthy rags. Please give me a robe of righteousness. And he'll do it. He'll do it in a moment of time. You don't have to go through a 12-step program. You don't have to join the church. Go through a ritual. Right where you are, God will meet you and fill you with the Holy Spirit. And your name, it may never be on a marquee somewhere. It may not ever be in a newspaper. But the one place that you want to make sure that your name is written is in that Lamb's Book of Life. Because on that great day, the only thing that will matter is, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Would you stand this morning?
I don't know how to make the appeal any more sincere uh, or, or, or urgent. But there's an urgent appeal. I feel it in my spirit. There's an urgency with which God is pleading with you that you do not have to leave this church lost. You can pray right where you are and call on the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He kept the law 100%. He kept the law perfected. He kept the law. He died on that cross. His blood is the satisfactory offering submitted to God, and God accepts the sacrifice of Jesus. He accepts that sacrifice. And Jesus was put in the tomb. He was really dead. And then he rose again the third day. And when God raised him from the dead, he says, this is my son. I have accepted his sacrifice. And if you will believe in him and trust in what he did for you, you too can be saved. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit just like he's holding the seven spirits of God. He sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He's been with us ever since. And I trust the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. He's speaking to you, saved and unsaved. The question is, will you respond to him in faith? Because he says, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Would you come?